Amen. Remain standing for the reading of the text from the Word this morning, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. I was thinking, what would be the appropriate message for this Palm Sunday in the entrance of the King into Jerusalem, claiming His rights and crown? And I thought, what better than just to stay with the series, particularly in the prayer request that we now come to, the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. And so Matthew chapter 6, in verse 10, is just that. And I'll begin reading again the Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we ask that the Spirit would fall fresh upon us this day and that you would anoint the preaching and even the hearing, that this would be done in worship, that we would desire to hear from our great God and the Spirit would open our ears and our hearts that we would receive the things and attend to them with focused attention and with spirit. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified to show us those areas in our own life where we need to be squared up with the truth to be more pleasing to you. So grow us in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great King of kings, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today is Palm Sunday, the day that historically the church has commemorated the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, coming as the great King. His ministry was now nearing the end. His final work on earth to establish his kingdom here was about to be completed. In order to establish God's kingdom here on earth, in the sphere of fallen mankind, Jesus entered this world to destroy all of the foes and the opponents of God who rule here. That was the reason he came in order to establish that reign. And to do so, he would have to die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day. So the events that led up to the climax of his earthly ministry are remembered this week, of which we call Holy Week, as we traverse each day of Jesus' life leading up to the cross and resurrection, that event that changed the world forever. And as we've been studying through the Lord's Prayer, and we come to this second petition that's quite relevant for us this day, this Kingdom Day, and so without skipping a beat in our series, we come to that request, Thy Kingdom Come. But what do we pray for when we pray, Thy Kingdom Come? To pray, Thy Kingdom Come, we pray for the complete Lordship of God in our lives and the lives of others. So that to pray this effectively, earnestly, we must yield to Christ's rule in every area of our lives. The theology of the kingdom of God is essentially one of conflict and conquest of the kingdom over the kingdom of Satan. And so against this background, we must begin. The kingdom of Satan. When we consider the kingdom of Satan... He has a dominion here, and his dominion is upon the earth. 
All of creation, or at creation, when God created this beautiful world, and He put man in the garden to tend it and to keep it, and He gave him dominion over all of the world. But the keeping of the garden is where He failed. He was supposed to protect the garden. But rather than protecting it, He actually forfeited the dominion of man in the earth at the fall, And Satan, whose name means the adversary, took the reign in the sin-cursed world that we now live. We read from Revelation 12, 9 that God cast him down to the earth. And many of those names that we refer to this opponent, this adversary of God, are those which referred to his dominion. In Ephesians 2.2, the scripture calls him the prince of the power of the air. In John chapter 12 and 14 and 16, he is called the ruler of the world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he's called the God of this age. But we also see his purpose. Why does he do what he does? And his purpose is to oppose the redemptive purposes of God. Satan desires his dominion here. And what he desires is to circumvent or avert or thwart any of the purposes of God redemptively that would bring this world back to its good creative order in paradise. Satan tried to thwart Jesus' mission by tempting him in the wilderness. Satan's activities occur within a mixed society of saints and and, and sinners or scoundrels. The wheat and the tares, if you will. It's this mixed society, even in the church in this age, in which Satan loves to work, and that is the focus of where he is at work. Oh, he's at work in the world, but just to get in his foot in the door here. So even in that parable, the wheat and the tares represents the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds represents the sons of the evil ones in this mixed society. The parable of the soils is that which Satan would love to come and just pluck out the seed that had fallen upon the wayside, but he is also one who would like to sow the seed among other seeds so that it could grow up with thorns in the cares of this world and squelch out the fruitfulness. Satan tried to divert the redemptive work of Christ, and he did so by working through Christ's apostle Peter. When Peter tried to thwart Jesus going to the cross, and Jesus had to confront him with great rebuke. Satan worked in the heart of Jesus by filling him and controlling him to betray our Lord, whom he had served for three years. Again, Peter, being a great target of the enemy, tried, uh, Satan tried to sift Peter as wheat on that night in which Jesus was under trial. And yet, Jesus later told him, The devil desires to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. The New Testament recognizes the supernatural power of evil. And its concern is the redemptive work of God in Christ, delivering people from these malignant forces. 
That is where Satan and his power and his, and, and his force will be at work. It is against the very redemptive purposes of God in your life, in the church, in the world. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's plans to destroy God's work will be frustrated and that God's purposes will prevail. And folks, when you pray that, it is according to the will of God and God will hear and God will answer because God is concerned about his purposes. But we also see not only is the Satan has a dominion here upon the earth, he has a purpose to frustrate the redemptive plan of God, but he does have great power, more so than we recognize and more so than we would like to know. His power is strong, and that was the whole emblem that God's people were to learn when they went into the promised land. They were people that were not battle-hardened. They were people without many instruments of war. They were people who had not been tested, and they were people that were going up against strong, fortified cities and battle-hardened soldiers. The cities, the enemy, were bigger and stronger than God's people, and that's the message that we need to understand. Satan and his army is stronger and bigger than we are. Even Michael the archangel would not bring a railing accusation against Satan. In Acts chapter 19, we read that there was a man who was casting out demons or attempting to do so. And yet they leaped upon him and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. We read in the apostle's last epistle to young pastor Timothy that he takes, that Satan takes people captive to do his will. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, we also read that he blinds the eyes of people to the gospel so that even when they hear the good news, they don't understand it. And when they hear the truth, they cannot perceive it. The apostle John says, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. The demonic activity revealed all throughout the New Testament is essential in understanding Jesus' interpretation of the picture of sin and man's need for the kingdom of God to come. Satan's kingdom is here upon the earth. And everyone born here by default is a subject in his kingdom. And when man fell in the garden, he fell, as it were, into the very kingdom of Satan, right into his hands, right into his dominion, right under his spell. And his power is greater than any one of us. He binds us in sin. He blinds our eyes. He creates many infirmities. Think of Job. He deceives us. Oh, he deceives us. That is one of his greatest weapons. Be careful, my friend, not to trust yourself too highly. Do not trust your conclusions that you have drawn by yourself. 
Satan might just be deceiving you. And this is why we need the communion of saints. This is why we need the fellowship of believers. This is why we are not to forsake assembling ourselves together as is the manner of some. And the very reason that the author of Hebrews says is so we will not draw back away from the faith because Satan, who is our enemy, can easily deceive us. Easily, easily deceive you. And that's why we need to pray, Thy kingdom come. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we pray that God would break the bondage of the evil one over us and over others. We pray for the salvation of souls. We pray from the loosed, being loosed from oppression and bondage. We pray from the release of Satan's power. We pray that God would deliver us and save us from ourselves. The heart is sick and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Your own heart will lie to you. And we pray that God would keep us from self-destruction. Thy kingdom come, O God. Remove the blinders. Open up for me the truth. And when I know the truth, it is the truth that will set me free. And that's exactly what God came to do in Jesus Christ as He brought in the kingdom, the kingdom of God. We saw the kingdom of Satan. Now we see the kingdom of God. The meaning of the kingdom of God is very simple. It really means a rule or a reign. It's His dominion. It answers the question, who's in control? In the Old Testament, in Psalm 145, the author of the psalm would say, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. See, God has always been in control. God has always been on the throne, and God has always been reigning. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Well, how does that apply to what we're talking about here upon the earth? Before we expound that, let me mention to you three aberrations that the Jews, when they were looking forward to the kingdom, interpreted it in three different ways. And I think if we know a little bit from history, we can keep from repeating its error. There were three important interpretations that the Jews had as they looked forward to the coming of the kingdom. I think they're insightful because they can help us prevent mistakes that I see are common today. First of all, you had the Jewish apocalyptic interpreters of the kingdom. They emphasized the eschatological, or the end time, the end of the age, and they lost a sense of God's reigning and acting in historical events. They were always looking to the future, but forgetting the present. It created a very pessimistic view. People despaired of history, feeling it was given over entirely to evil powers, and God's people could expect only suffering and affliction in this age until God would act to establish His kingdom in the age to come. Now, you can probably already see where we have repeated some of that error today and some of today's pessimistic eschatology, where we are so focused and so thinking wrongly that this world is continuing to spin out of control, getting worse and worse. 
and that all the hope we have is in the glory of the eschatological consummation when Christ comes back. And while that should be our great hope and focus, we are not to be pessimistic about what God is doing today and doing now here upon this earth. Because the difference is when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, He claimed the kingdom and now through His resurrection established it when the kingdom of heaven has now come to this earth in the King. And we have all optimistic hope that this world and the kingdom here is growing as leaven leavens the whole lump and continues to grow from the time that Jesus rose again and sent the Spirit of God. This world is not getting worse and worse so long as He is doing His work here through His church and His people until the final coming of His glory and the second second coming. The second Jewish interpretation was the rabbinic interpreters, and they interpreted the kingdom of God as the reign of God exercised through the law. Those who submit to the law submit to the reign of God. So obedience to the law then was equivalent to experiencing God's kingdom rule. The kingdom of God was embodied in the law. Now today, there is a teaching among many Protestants of a moralism. This ethical, outward, external conformity to the law by works righteousness. In many Christian areas today, I use that word loosely, there is a works-driven mentality ridden with guilt, manipulation, and performance achievement. This is very similar to that rabbinic interpretation of the kingdom. And in that third, there was another interpretation historically where the Jews were looking toward the coming of the kingdom and Messiah. And these were the zealots. These were Jewish radicals who were not content to quietly wait for God to bring his kingdom in, but they wished to hasten it in with the sword. In the early decades of the first century, insurrection broke out again and again, promoted by the zealots of Rome. The New Testament speaks of that insurrection in Acts chapter 21. Josephus speaks of the revolutionary movements in his day against Rome by the Jews. Those movements were not for political or nationalistic goals, but they were religiously motivated with God's kingdom in view. Now, there are a lot of religious movements today in the name of Christendom, lots of religious revolutionaries who attempt to externalize the kingdom apart from the inward reality. There have been some errors made in this way in the time of our Protestant Reformation. There's today errors in liberation theology, which has all sorts of tentacles and different paths from which it is sprung. There are also radical reconstructionists that fall into this error. Well, John 18, Jesus answers, says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. The kingdom that Jesus appointed for his disciples is a royal rule. It is a royal dominion. 
In Luke twenty two twenty nine, 29, it says, And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed it upon me. And when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are praying for Christ's rule and His dominion to be perfectly realized. The Lordship of Christ to prevail in the lives of people, that Christ would be fully in control of our lives at all times throughout all of our activity. The kingdom of God, from the Old Testament perspective, always involves an inbreaking of God into history when God's redemptive purpose is fully realized. The kingdom of God is always an earthly hope. And one of the major problems of understanding the kingdom of God is because it has both a present and a future aspect to it. There's a dual aspect to God's kingdom. There is a present reality and there is a future hope. That although Christ is now king, there are other references that speak to a day when his kingship will be consummated on this earth. And the twofold dualism in the New Testament, God's will will be done in heaven, but his kingdom is that which brings it to earth. So you can see where the next petition naturally follows. There's a phrase in the Bible that is often used synonymously with God's kingdom, and that is a phrase, the age to come. Or in, the New King, or in the King James would say the world to come. There's a contrast between this present age and the age to come. The present age is a sin-laden, temporal, historical world in which we now live. We are living in this present age. The age of come... The age to come brings eternal life and the eternal order, and it involves resurrection. And here's the tricky part. When Christ came to the earth in His earthly ministry, He inaugurated the age to come in principle. For you and I, we are living both in this present age and we are living in some sense the age to come. Even right now, there's overlap. On the one hand, we're living here in this sin-laden, fallen world. And on the other hand, we are already spiritually children of the age to come. We've already tasted of that. We have already participated in some sense a resurrection because we were buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, and through that mystical union that we have in Jesus Christ, it is He that lives in us, and it is He that then has come to the earth and lives to reign in His resurrection. And we today enjoy that spiritually. The more you can understand that resurrection is the crux between eternity and heaven and earth, the more you'll appreciate this supper that he gives to us every Lord's Day. We see Jesus' discourse to the rich young ruler when he clarifies that inheriting eternal life and the entrance into the kingdom of God are synonymous 
with entering the age to come. As Kenneth Gentry puts it, we already experience resurrection spiritually, though we look forward to the physical resurrection beyond this present time. Indeed, we even now sit with Him in heavenly places so that in the ages to come, we might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. See, we already partake of the new creation, though this eternal new creation still awaits us. We are living in the already, not yet. And the central principle that unites these two is the resurrection. So the kingdom of God is is God's rule right now. It's a present reality. God's kingdom was active in the Old Testament, but in some real sense, God's kingdom came into earth, came into history, broke into space and time in the person and in the mission of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus' entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey symbolized. That's what it was all about. He was the king, and in him the kingdom of God had come to the earth, and he had set up his reign here. John the Baptist's message was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The king is here. Jesus continued that same message, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And we see his reign going out throughout his entire earthly ministry that he was explaining what he was doing. When he was casting out the demons, he was showing what he was coming to do. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, the very reign of God had come into the midst of His people, had come to the earth. And that is why He gives that little parable about the strong man. And Jesus was the strong man who came into, or He he was the, the one who came in to invade the strong man's house. And the strong man was was Satan. And Jesus had to first bind the strong man so that he could then plunder his goods. And there was the symbol that Jesus is coming into this earth, the house of the strong man, binding Satan here so that then he can take reign upon the earth. That's what's his mission. He was to bind Satan with a fatal blow. And every occasion in which Jesus drives out evil spirits is an anticipation of the very hour in which Satan will be visibly robbed of his power. Matthew seventeen eighteen says, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. As you continue to read through, and as we will through our study, when Jesus casts out the demons, he is claiming his kingdom of this earth both visible and invisible, but here. In the Old Testament, the enemies of God were hostile, evil nations. In the New, they were revealed to us as spiritual powers of evil. And though in a spiritual world, the battle of evil will be won only on the plane of history here upon this earth. See, what I'm trying to do is keep us from being Gnostics 
and thinking that the material world is somehow irrelevant and everything we have to do is something spiritual and the ethereal other abstract. No, it is when the kingdom of God has come to this earth that makes it real and substantive and temporal. And it is here, this earth is the place where the cosmic battle is taking place. And it is this earth where the evil one will be driven out. And it is this earth that God will set up his kingdom and heaven will come down and the new Jerusalem will descend upon it. It is this earth where paradise is being restored. So the kingdom of God will break into earth in history and will take the kingdom of darkness by storm. Though it is not of this world, the battles will be fought here on this earth in history and that's why the kingdom came near in a person of Jesus. Jesus informed His disciples in Luke 17, 20 that the kingdom was already in their midst, but in an unexpected form. He says, now when He asked of the Pharisees, When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. When we pray for thy kingdom to come, we are praying for God to do something now. Not just bring it to completion in the future, though that's a part of it. But right now we are praying for God to do something, to intervene, to use us. To close down abortion clinics. To bring his law upon the land of righteousness. To save souls and bring them under the discipleship of Christ to take entire nations and bring them to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ willingly, to the glory of the Father, to baptize entire groups of people individually coming to Christ, but then changing the whole course of nations. And He's called us to pray for that here. And not only to pray for that, but be about consistently living according to what we pray. The larger catechism says, the second petition. We acknowledge ourselves and all mankind to be by nature in the dominion of sin and Satan. We pray that in the second petition that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout all the world, the Jews called, the fullness of the Gentiles brought in, the church furnished with all gospel officers and ordinances, purged from corruption, that the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed, and the confirming, comforting, and building up of those already converted that Christ would rule over our hearts here and now. The kingdom of God is within you. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are really praying, Lord, bring me more under the lordship and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Bring me more into compliance with the obedience of the gospel. Folks, that requires you to repent. That requires you to understand the truth. That requires you to deal with these things as God brings them to bear upon your lives. Thy kingdom come is not an abstract principle. It is a way that governs our life to live to the honor of Christ's name and his kingdom so that whatever the cost, it is Jesus' name that must be exalted. Whatever it is to my person that needs to die, it is Him that must increase. 
That's what we pray for when we pray, Thy kingdom come. That God would expose areas where we're not living righteously or under His lordship, and He would change those areas so that He would be exalted. It's a present reality. But the kingdom also will be something of the future. It will be God's complete dominion, His complete rule realized here on this earth. The age to come will see a realization of all the reign of God and all that it means. It will be an age of resurrection into eternal life in the kingdom of God. This is where we will have our physical resurrection. And everything in the gospel points to the idea that life in the kingdom of God in the age to come will be life here on earth. But it's a transformed life, a kingly rule of God when His people enter into the full measure of divine blessings. It is Thy kingdom come that we pray for today. It is Thy kingdom come that we hope for with certainty for tomorrow. The coming of God's kingdom will mean the final and the total destruction of the devil and all of his angels. The formation of a redeemed society that is now going to be unmixed with evil. Because the Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those things that practice lawlessness. And here we will have a perfected fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ here upon this earth. In the age to come, the heavens descend to earth and lifts historical existence to new level of redeemed life. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we pray that God would hasten the day of the coming of Christ. This is what we long for. And so we say with the Apostle John in the closing words of our Bible, Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Hosanna, save now. We must live according to this prayer. Or else our praying for these things will be ineffective. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we must be about sharing the gospel. We must be desiring ourselves to grow spiritually. We must be involved in God's kingdom to see it advance. We must be serving God in the ministry of the church. We need to be involved in one another's lives, stimulating one another to love and good works. We must walk in the good works that God has saved us to. And when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we ask Christ to rule and to reign in our lives and to have full dominion over every part that He would be in control. That's the question. What is the kingdom? Who's in control? We all have strongholds in our lives. We all have idols that we need to let go. These things lay claim of control. We often put too much emphasis and trust our finances. Or we rely on our relationships. Or we have careers. But those things we need to pray, Thy kingdom come. And Lord, You take complete and full control over all of our lives and take away from us anything that hinders the grace of God abounding. May God be pleased to answer that prayer as we pray it and as we live it sincerely. Our gracious Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be 
thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And send your spirit that as we pray for thy kingdom, our lives would be squared up with this request. And where it is not, that you would be pleased to do so. And that you would do that individually and you would do that corporately. And we pray that King Jesus' name would be exalted above our name and that every day we would bow our knee to him, confessing that he is Lord of all. As we confess this in worship, we pray we would give our lives consistently in our work. So, Lord, we ask that you would apply this message to us liberally. And we pray that you would bring repentance where it's needed, bring encouragement and comfort, knowing that you are in control of even the wave and the seas. They they hear your word. That you would quieten any fear against things that we're afraid of because you are in control. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And while our enemy is stronger than we are, we know that Christ is the one who is stronger than all because he is the creator. He is the king. He is the sovereign. So comfort us in these words and strengthen our faith in all that he is to the honor and the praise of his holy name. Amen.